Let's do it. In previous episodes, we've celebrated great lyrics, the poetic turns of phrases that capture some universal truth, gets straight to our hearts and lingers in our heads. But what about when a song's hook isn't about lyrics, just the sounds that we sing? Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the greatest wordless chorus of all time? That's the age-old question. All right, we're back for another episode, and I'm excited about this one because you brought this idea up, and once I started thinking about it, I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. Ooh, that's a good one. Why don't you start us off? I would love to. It's such a funny topic because how can you have a song without the words, right? The, the whole reason this came about was I was listening to XM and heard a Nirvana song, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's so interesting. He just sings, yeah. Yeah. And then I started thinking like, oh, wait, there's a lot of songs like that. So my first choice for greatest wordless chorus is Lithium by Nirvana. It just happened to be the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death recently. I saw that. Um, so he's all up in my feed. And I've been watching a lot of live performances of Nirvana, which is so cool to see. But let's talk about Lithium, the fifth track on Nevermind. I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, the story of how it came about that they recorded Nevermind. But I do have some interesting tidbits, stories about this. Lithium is a song about a guy who lost his girlfriend. She died. So he he, he said in an interview that he, he couldn't decide what she died of, you know, he said, okay, let's just say she died of AIDS or a car accident or something. And this guy's going around brooding and he turned to religion as a last resort to keep himself alive, to keep him from suicide. Hmm. And the name lithium, you know what lithium is? It's an element. It's a mood stabilizing drug. Used in the treatment of bipolar disorder. So he's making a correlation between the powers of lithium and religion and he called religion a sedative for the masses. Hmm. Here's a quote from Kurt. It's hard for me to understand the need for a vice like religion, but I can appreciate it. People need vices. The song was first recorded in April of 1990 at producer Butch Vig's studio in Wisconsin for their second album. And... Kurt got so angry with their former drummer, Chad Channing. So he was the drummer before Dave Grohl. Mm -hmm. And they were there in Wisconsin and they're recording the song. And the guy is just not doing the drum part right. And Butch Vig said, we tried in vain to track one afternoon and it just didn't feel right. And that's when Kurt went crazy after the third or fourth take. And he said, it just came out of the blue. And I've never seen so much rage and frustration coming out of someone. You could literally almost see Kurt's vocal cords coming out of his throat. He was screaming so hard. Then he smashed his left-handed guitar, which ended the session for the day. 
wow. smashed his guitar because he was so full of rage. I mean, that is a studio incident. I would call that a studio incident. I can't imagine breaking a guitar. I, I love my guitars too much. So much. I have never understood that. I mean, I have one guitar. I if I break my guitar, I don't have another guitar. So, I think I think when I guess, Pete when Pete Townsend used to smash his guitar, he had a roadie, or maybe he did it himself, who would put it back together. Same guitar. Same guitar. <laughs> same guitar. So he would smash the same guitar over and over. How pissed are you when you're that roadie? You got to spend all the next day putting this thing back together. Yeah. It's such a funny world. I guess it's important to say that, yeah, it technically is a word. Technically. It's not a phrase. It's not a f lyrical phrase. And it's also like drawn out over so many melodic syllables. He's using that word more as like a, a sound. And that brings me to a point of this entire episode. Is it that the artist didn't want to write lyrics? That they they couldn't find lyrics for this section? It's such an interesting thing. I've never written a song with a wordless chorus. And I feel like it's a cop-out for myself. All right, what do you got, Rich? Well, we've talked about the song Hey Jude a few times on this podcast, right? But of course, the na 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 section is one of the great wordless hooks ever recorded. And, and in the title of this episode, we're talking about choruses, but we're really talking about hooks. And the outro to Hey Jude is a hook that may be as good as any in popular music. you agree? The best. The best. I want to provide some context about what was swirling around the Beatles when this song came out. We think of the Beatles now in the context of the great band that could really do no wrong. But following the success of Sgt. Pepper in 1967, they release Magical Mystery Tour. and it was largely panned by the critics. In fact, the accompanying film didn't even get released in the US at the time. The follow-up single, Lady Madonna, Lady Madonna children and children. failed to make it to number one in the US. It peaked at number four. That sounds pretty good, but it was the first Beatles single not to top the charts since Eleanor Rigby in 1966. The press began to write the obituary of the Beatles, or at least saying that the bubble had burst. The hold that the Beatles had on the US audiences had finally come to an end. So it's in that context that the Beatles go back into the studio to track a new song by Paul. What's that? Hey, 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 Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make 
we've also talked about the genesis of the song. It was written by Paul as he was driving to visit Cynthia Lennon, John's wife at the time, and their son, Julian. John was leaving Cynthia because he had met and fallen in love with Yoko, and Uncle Paul was going to console him. And the lyrics began as he was driving as, Hey Jules, for Julian. Ultimately changed to Hey Jude. They recorded the song at Trident Studios, not Abbey Road, right. the first one that they'd ever recorded on an 8-track console. When they'd finished, the song was 7 minutes and 14 seconds long. Compared to three years earlier, the average length of a song on the album Help was 2 minutes 30 seconds. By the way, the longest song on the album Help was Ticket to Ride, and that was 3 minutes and 10 seconds. Wow. So Hey Jude was also the band's first release on the new label, Apple. And this was in August, 1968. And it reached number one and it stayed there for nine weeks. It was the longest number one hit song, seven minutes and 14 seconds that had ever been released. And it put to bed the questions about whether the Beatles still had a grip on the charts. The next single was Get Back and that reached number one too. But let's talk about the outro. It's a total of 18 four-measure refrains with Paul on the piano, John on acoustic guitar, George on electric guitar, and Ringo on drums and tambourine. Starting from the fourth refrain, a 36-piece orchestra plays a simple score as the backdrop. The word na, as in na na na, appears 216 times. Wow. I didn't count this personally, I googled it. That outro has to be considered one of the great wordless hooks of all time. We've both seen Paul, and when he plays this, something magical happens in the crowd. It becomes like a family reunion or something. It becomes like this community feeling exactly. between everyone in the crowd and I, I don't know if there is a better wordless hook than this because every single person from age three to 103, A, knows it, and B, sings it every time. In fact, I played this last night at a show and everybody in the place started singing it. It's just, oh. it's the catchiest, the most singable thing maybe ever recorded, I would say. That's awesome. What else you got? My next choice is yeah. by a band called The White Stripes. Mm. And the song is Seven Nation Army. The White Stripes are made up of guitarist Jack White and drummer and ex-wife Meg White and just a duo. I mean, that's another episode. Greatest... Uh, where the whole band is just a duo, not duo in terms of like two singers. But so they recorded the song Seven Nation Army for their 2003 album, Elephant. And I did not know this, but the name Seven Nation Army is inspired by Jack's misunderstanding of the name of the Salvation Army as a child. 
He thought Salvation Army, he thought it was Seven Nation Army. It was originally just a placeholder title, but it stuck. He devised a storyline in which a protagonist discovers that his friends are talking about him behind his back. So the song's basically about gossip. And he said, quote, it's about me, Meg, and the people we're dating. So it was written and produced by Jack White. This is like an iconic riff song. His whole point of writing this song was to write a song without a chorus. So you're a songwriter, you have an inspiration for a song, right? Like I always have these little things that I try to accomplish for myself. Like let's write a two chord song or let's write a song with only minor chords. So this was his attempt to write a song without a chorus. It ended up being a massive, massive hit. It's really fun to play for how simple it is. And I think that's the beauty of this song is just its simplicity. And it's like one riff the whole song. Just sit down and say, I'm going to write a song without a chorus. Right? What, what's the point? It's so, you know, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Right. But there is no chorus. There is a hook. And it's a guitar hook. It literally isn't even a vocal hook. It's a wordless chorus. Maybe the finest example of an absolute wordless chorus. It actually won Best Rock Song at the 46th Annual Grammy Awards. And I remember it was the theme song of the 2018 FIFA World Cup, right? I mean, I can't believe we didn't mention this in the workout episode. Right. Where... As a sports anthem. It's one of the biggest anthems of all time. Yeah. It actually started in October 2003 in Italy, and the crowd started chanting the hook. Since then, it's gone on to be in every sporting event ever. You, right. you hear it every time you're watching like an NBA game or an NFL game. It is interesting to have a band that was just a duo, guitar and drums. That's an unusual duo. Totally. Same with the Black Keys. I think this is a this is a good example of a wordless chorus, an absolute, a true wordless chorus. All right, I'd like to do a quick fire round of some of my favorite wordless hooks. Uh-huh. You ready? Yes. How about some early rock and roll songs like Do Wa Diddy? Like, what does Do Wa Diddy mean? Forgot about that one. <laughs> And da do ron 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 da do ron ron, right? Yeah. And these are amazing. Similar to those, I want to talk about a song by the police. Da do 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 da 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 da. the second single off the band's album Zenyatta Mandata, released in November 1980. The song was partly inspired by the tracks we just mentioned. Sting said, I was trying to make an intellectual point about how the simple can be so powerful, but also that words can be meaningless, but still very dangerous. He said, I was trying to say something which was really quite difficult, that people like politicians, like myself even, use words to manipulate and that you should be very careful. I want to share a quote by an artist who really loved this track, Joni Mitchell. Cool. She said, I've danced in the Caribbean 
for weeks to that song. I'm an old rock and roller dancer, you know. The stops, the pauses, that song is really fun. I appreciate the rhythmic hybrids, the gaps between the bass lines, the repetitive figures with space between them. James Taylor and I had dinner with Sting once at our mutual manager's place. He was quite effusive about us being his heroes. So I always think of him as our son. I love that. <laughs> wow. Clint, let's go to the comments. Let's go. Let's go to the comments. I just got back from tour with The Sweet Remains. And I had the opportunity, I haven't even told you this, I had the opportunity to meet some amazing listeners of the show. Nice. First, Marty and his wife Sue came to the shows in Bend and Portland, Oregon. And they introduced themselves and they said they've been avid listeners to the show. It was Marty, in fact, who inspired the episode on whether music was better back in the day, our most recent episode. Nice. They came from British Columbia for this, these shows. Wow. He just shared a comment on Facebook. He said, Sue and I followed the Sweet Remains from Ben to Portland earlier this week. What a blast. Wow. I have one more question that has been of burning interest since I read Star Making Machinery and How Music Got Free. The economics of being a professional musician have changed so dramatically since the 1960s. Rich and Clint are well situated to take on this issue. How does music pay now that it's free? Well, Marty, <laughs> here's the answer to that. It doesn't. <laughs> it's right. really true. That is an amazing question. I think that is definitely an episode. I think that's an episode. How does music pay now that it's free? I love the way he phrased it too. It's different for me. It's different for you, but it's different for Neil Young. It's different yes. for you too. It's different for all these people that have counted on this money. 90s country people, their royalty checks are so much smaller now than they used to be. Totally. That they, a lot of these people probably have to get work now. So Marty, we're going to come back to this question. Love it. Second, this was just as amazing. Lorraine and Andy came all the way from England to see our shows in San Francisco. What? It was their 60th birthday presents to each other. They are avid listeners to the age-old question. And what was really fun, Clint, is when I met Lorraine and Andy, I happened to be standing next to our friend, Jeff Simons. No, <laughs> mind blown, mind blown. And so we had a really quick conversation about the Eagles, which was funny. And in a follow-up note, she wrote to me, I liked what Jeff had to say about being passionate about music. The Eagles were not particularly well-known by us, a radio hits band. But when I was touring the South Island of New Zealand, where there was no radio reception, I had to have music. Side note, I find the world is divided neatly into two types of people, those who have music playing all the time and those that don't. Their greatest hits album, was on sale at the petrol station. So I got that. It became the soundtrack of our travels through New Zealand. I cannot hear Take It Easy without seeing the Pacific Coast Highway along the coast of New Zealand. She finishes, so I guess as a musician, maybe taste is informed by other factors. But as a listener, it's formed by the heart. Take it easy, take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Oh my goodness, that's so awesome. And so true. Anyway, I, you know, you and I 
we love when we hear from listeners of the show, but to be able to meet listeners of the show in person and have them tell us that they're just loving this podcast. Yeah. It makes us feel so great and makes us want to keep doing this. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's incredible. Let's go to our friend, Jeff Simons. Oh yeah. I think he's going to have some thoughts on greatest wordless chorus. Love it. Hey, fellas. Jeff. Yeah, back in business. Back, back in business. so soon. We're so glad to have you back. Today, we're talking about the greatest wordless hooks or choruses. And we knew you'd have something to say on this topic. All right, well, the first one that comes to mind is is uh, yours, buddy. The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, oh, yeah. Definitely Queen my B. personal top five. That oh, was my, every time we played that song, I was living for the doot-doots. I, uh, I couldn't wait. That's great. I would tell people about that song like after like the best one's Queen Bee and they're like, which one's Queen Bee? And I'd be like, it's the doot 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 doot. Like, oh that's the best one. <laughs> that's so funny. That one, I didn't even have that on my own list. Oh, you that's because you're modest. The other one I really love is uh, Otis Redding's Fat Fa 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 song. The yes. Oh, that's a perfect one. Yeah. That's what we're talking about right there. Yeah. Does Uga Chaga count at the beginning of Hook Down a Feeling? Totally. Good. It comes back again. It comes back again. Totally. What's the Black Keys song where they just sing too? Howling for You. That's right. I like that one too. Jeff, tell us a little bit about what's going on with the podcast. 50 Years of Music with 50 Old White Guys. Podcast is on is season three where we're traveling. Yeah. So we did Best Song, Best Album. Now we're doing 50 Cities. And we're at the mercy of Tim's organizational skills. Right. Because so, there's no there's no rhyme or reason, it seems there's like. There's no rhyme or reason. He is just like, it's like quantum leap. Like yeah. I solve the problem <laughs> and then I blink and then I'm a naval officer in, in Shanghai. Right. Um, the perfect way to describe this season, by the way. <laughs> uh, but he's hilarious. Like we had to do like four episodes to cover the, the greater Boston area. And then he was like, okay, Los Angeles. I'm like, dude, you're such a homer. And like his choices have been really really funny um but yeah i think we're doing um we're doing memphis tomorrow night so that'll be great there's a lot of oh there's so much there um, this is incredible because you know we just celebrated 60 episodes as a milestone and, and we were thinking that was pretty pretty good accomplishment you guys good. you guys on the other hand are just cranking them out i one of the things i enjoy about your podcast is its consistency the fact that you guys keep delivering something that i'm craving week after week part of it is you just have to you just have to decide you're going to do it right and okay. and we don't worry about uh quality control or expertise or editing and right. so like that right. really helps too some of them are i mean it is funny like your show sounds so much better than ours and it's it um it's so much uh more compact but i feel like ours is like like the director's cut 
of a, of an actual podcast. Like if right. you get all like, and my favorite is like Tim, like we'll cut that out. I'm like, we're not cutting anything out. You right. always say we'll cut that out. And then, and then I hear, cut it out. We'll, I cut do. That out. well, Jeff, it's always such a highlight of the show for us to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, I like to meet you guys. Keep it going. Congratulations on uh, episode 60 or whatever this is. I'm loving it. You guys we're now at 62. Yeah, we're cruising. 62. We're cooking with gas. Yeah. Come on. No. Who knew there were 62 good questions to ask about <laughs> music? I'm thrilled. Can't wait to see what you come up with next. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Thanks, Jeff. Nice, Jeff. All right. Let's give our top wordless hook chorus nominee. What do you got? Okay. Mine is by one of your faves, I believe, Mr. Van Morrison. Mm. And the song I'm going to talk about is Brown Eyed Girl. Now, what I will say is Brown Eyed Girl is not my favorite song. I've had to play this song so many times in my life for events, you know, weddings or anniversary parties or whatever i'm over this song that doesn't mean i'm not gonna play it you want me to play it i'll play it but when you get to the chorus of this song chorus slash refrain i don't know what it is but when you get there it is unbelievable what happens to a crowd of people they cannot help themselves every single person sings this at the top of their lungs it's absolutely fascinating do you remember when we used to sing sha la 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 just like that sha la 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 this is not van morrison's favorite song he puts this song not in his favorite 300 songs that he's written he reckons he's written 300 songs that are better than brown eyed girl that's how you say it that's a good way to say it rich the original title of this song was Brown Skinned Girl. Ooh. And he changed it to Brown Eyed Girl when he recorded it. Smart. Didn't know that. He said, quote, it's kind of a Jamaican song, Calypso. It just slipped my mind that I changed the title. One of our episodes was songs that didn't age very well. And if that had been Brown Skin Girl, we would make a case that that song did not age very well. Unplayable. Right. The other thing about this song is in the third verse, Making Love in the Green Grass. Yeah. Making love in the green grass behind the stadium with you. Was in 1967. Pretty edgy. No bueno. Yeah. And so they took the first verse lyric and put it into that lyric and released a, a version for radio. I see. It's in all of those lists, right? It's like number 21 on the Rolling Stone list of 100 greatest pop songs or number 49 on vh1's list of 100 greatest rock songs it's included in all of these lists like every single one of them all right this is my nominee for the greatest wordless chorus oh yeah the boxer yep one of my favorite songs and i think one of the great songs of all time and of course it's hook lie la lie he told Playboy magazine, this is Paul Simon, of course, told Playboy magazine in 1984 that the song was meant to be a personal allegory about facing your critics. 
inspired by the fact that music critics had begun to attack his reputation in the late 1960s when his songs moved into folk rock rather than pure folk music. He said, I think the song was about me. Everybody's beating me up. People realize maybe we weren't real folkies after all. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame. I am leaving. I'm it's a true contemporary of the first song I mentioned, recorded a few months after Hey Jude had been released. The song took over a hundred hours to record, which is a long time for a song of that generation. Elements of the track were performed at multiple locations, including Columbia Studios in Nashville and St. Paul's Chapel at Columbia University in New York City. Whoa. The song has only one drum beat, and it's played during the wordless refrain. Legendary session drummer Hal Blaine. Oh, yeah. The wrecking crew. He played the snare drum in a hallway near the elevator in the Columbia offices. He said, when the chorus came around, the Lila Lie bit, Roy the producer engineer, had me come down on my snare drum as hard as I could. Huh. In that hallway, by the elevator shaft, it sounded like a cannon shot. They recorded the wordless refrain, the vocals, in St. Paul's Chapel, Columbia University. Here's producer Roy Halley and Paul talking about it. So this meant that the field crew had to go to the chapel, set up the console, set up all the machines. Well, they thought I was totally insane, which I probably was, you know. It has that wordless chorus. And I tried to make up a chorus but I couldn't think of anything, so I just left it at, at the Lila Lie, which is really, uh, you know, one of the best things about it because from country to country, people sing that. I love this song, Clint. I think it's songwriting perfection. It is, lyrically, melodically, and to have a wordless chorus, honestly, is so smart because it's universally done in any language. Like when Paul plays in yes. Ecuador or wherever he's, you know, in South America or in Asia somewhere, everyone can sing along yes. immediately the first time they hear it. And there is a genius to that. hundred percent. All right. All right. We want to thank <laughs> Marty and Sue and Lorraine and Andy Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you to everyone who's listening to the show. Thank you. We hope you had fun, as much fun as we did. And we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.